some of its expectations. Like the biggest thing I've even done with my team is it's more about how we think. When the old days you'd get in the van, hey, how'd it go today? Oh, you know, I hit a ball out of bounds, two in the hazard, and three putted twice. Well, those are all negative imprints. Finally, we get in the van, we're like, well, give me three things you did well today. Well, I got up and down like three times. I had two birdie putts. I think as, a, as humans, we're just too hard on ourselves. And, you know, we put a negative spin on it rather than, hey, yeah, I mean, I, I hit that far. It went a little in the right rough, but okay, what can I do now? The bison, 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 the bison. Hello, bison. Welcome to the Nichols College Alumni Experience Podcast. Today our guest is Alex Kirk, who graduated from Nichols in 1991 and was captain of the Bison soccer team and a founding member of the Nichols rugby team. Alex has been the head women's golf coach at Ivy League Division I Dartmouth College in Hanover, New Hampshire for seven seasons. Last year he was voted Ivy League Coach of the Year and received the New England PGA Patriot Award in 2019. Alex was also named New Hampshire's PGA Teacher of the Year in 2018. He's remained active at Nichols College, serving as a member of the Bison Club Committee, speaking to several sport management coaching classes, and helping our soccer team's fundraising efforts for their recent trip to play in Europe. Today we'll talk about Alex's time at Nichols, his time as a D1 coach, and get some great tips from a pro on how to improve our golf game. Welcome to the podcast, Alex. Well, thanks for having me, Brent. So before we get into your time at Nichols and, and your career in coaching, maybe a few uh, golf tips that we get in. It's been a rough couple of years for college sports. This pandemic is something that's certainly putting a lot of pressure on college athletic directors and coaches to adapt. I don't think I've heard anything definitive yet regarding the NCAA's plans for Division I football in the fall, which is right around the corner. How has this thing affected the ability of uh, coaches to uh, recruit players during a time that a lot of high school sports seasons were canceled in the spring, especially given that golf courses only recently started opening up? Uh, well, I think it's made it a little challenging in some respects, but I also think by everyone being locked out at home from a golf standpoint, that's giving student athletes more time. I would say my, my emails have been inundated probably more than past years of contacts and people trying to reach out. But the challenging part is the NCAA has put us in a dead period, they call it, where we can't travel on the road. So I can't go to tournaments. I can't go visit families and sometimes even recruiting it's it's not just about the golf scores it's like watching them interact with their parents and seeing how they treat other players that's been challenging because like i will say this class of 2021 it's just going to be totally different unprecedented i mean at some point i think it's going to be a leap of faith that coaches are going to have to make selections in their selected sports without possibly even watching some of them compete or i mean you're going on talent but um you know I, I think it's just interesting i mean i think ever since for me it was about march 8th this year that it's it's a whole new world i think you got a schools going online education's really going to a hybrid or different things i mean i think you know, you have to rely on your experience but i also think you have to be innovative to find new ways to do things i mean like 
I don't know, I've been on more Zoom calls, which actually is not a bad thing with recruits because you can see face and body language and reactions compared to just a phone call or, you know, in a perfect world, you want them to come to campus and be able to see campus and experience it and get a feel for it and see if that's something that they're interested in going to school there. It's different times, but I think you got to like find a way to make it work for your system or your school and find the right fit. Well, yeah. And you mentioned something that's kind of interesting. You mentioned from a recruiting standpoint, seeing how the recruits treat other people and interact with their parents and that sort of things. As somebody who's found pretty good success there, you know, I mentioned in 2019, you were named Ivy League Coach of the Year. Could you go into a little bit your recruiting philosophy? Like, what are some of the things that someone like you does over the hundreds of other college coaches in the country to attract players and put together a, a cohesive team? You know, I'm fortunate to be at Dartmouth College. You know, being an Ivy League school, it has a high academic uh, demand. Your academic grades, I need like 33 ACT, 1450 on the SATs, and most of them probably have a 3.9 or 4.0 GPA in high school. My recruiting line usually is everyone says, like, what are you looking for? And, you know, they want the big secret. And I said, listen, I'm looking for the smartest girls that shoot the lowest scores that love Dartmouth. Hmm. And it's pretty simple to me. I mean, I think if you just tailor that to any school, I mean, you know, you have to look at your grade your academic makeup, you know, maybe your sport, no matter what it is, I happen to be in golf and then find, find the right fit really for you for the, you know, I think the parents have to let the child kind of make this big first decision. I mean, obviously, you know, then you, we have, we haven't even got to the financial situation of what families can afford or, you know, you have to be happy. I mean, do you want to, you know, get in a school that you're going to struggle academically and maybe barely play that sport? Or, you know, would you like to go to a school where, you know, you really do fit in and it's not that you have to be comfortable, but, you know, somewhere that's going to challenge you academically, but yet give you the opportunity to, to compete. I don't know. I mean, I think I look back, I mean, I was 91 grad, you know, I grew up in New Jersey, always loved New England. My family had ties up here and, you know, I, I don't know. I just always liked the seasons and I, but I didn't think about it as much as I think some of these kids today are thinking about it. Like, I don't know. I walked into Nichols, saw it. I thought it was a cool campus. You know, I figured I'd get a business degree because no matter what you do in the world that, you know, you had to figure out a business, whether you're running it or, you know, just understanding how it worked. You know, I heard they had cold beer, too. So that might have enticed me. But <laughs> Nichols really didn't have a sport management major before the mid 1990s, maybe even late 1990s. But we were actually one of the forefront schools to offer a sport management major, which focused on business and in the management aspects of sports. We were certainly one of the seven colleges to do so. This is a major that's taken off incredibly over the last 20 years or so. Nichols had a foothold in that industry because every school seems to offer it now, but we've had 20 years of relationships building you know, with teams and, and that sort of thing. As somebody who graduated in 1991 before sport management was an actual major, how did you as a, a soccer player get into like golf and coaching? Uh, that's probably a good question. I'm still trying to figure that out. But uh, <laughs> um, I got into import-export sales and I was literally on the road like three out of four weeks out of the month back then driving from Virginia Beach to Maine. I woke up in Philly one day, didn't even know what city I was in. And then I will say I got in the golf business first. I've been a PGA professional for probably 20 years, worked at some private clubs. And then I happened to get the head professional job at the golf course at Dartmouth. And then the coaching job opened up. But that's where I'm saying, I mean, it's great that 
I think Nichols specialized in sports management and really, you know, got expansion from it. But I guess, you know, back when we were there, I just think you, you know, you got a broad understanding of all the business. You know, you had the accounting and the organizational behavior things. And I mean, I took a lot of management classes with Professor Hilliard. You know, I think it, my business background from Nichols has always just been the foundation for that. As times progress, I think that sports management probably helped give them the blueprint where we always had to, you know, just use the basic principles of marketing, management, accounting. So, I mean, I think at the end of the day too, like even being a golf professional or a golf coach, it sounds so simple about being around golf, but it, it's almost a lot of other things that aren't even about the sport. Working at a country club, it's like just taking care of people. It's a lot of relationship building, you know, even coaching. My travels in the PGA, I think has helped my recruiting because I know a lot of golf professionals around the country. My team makes fun of me. They're like, coach, everywhere we go, you know somebody. And I'm like, well, is that a bad thing? <laughs> Hanging out at the rugby drink up was probably not as bad a thing as besides just getting the cold beer i mean you got to know people like am i right in uh remembering that you took a nichols intern at the uh, hanover country club uh yeah this past year tj barber needed to do an internship so i think we split it actually with boston college and myself so it was kind of good that he had the little experience for the dartmouth ivy league side and then seeing the acc because sometimes he would come back and forth he'd do a couple days down there and a couple days with me you know i think a very good hybrid good experience for him to just see the ins and outs and then even kind of help him mentor him to you know understand what he's doing i mean sometimes i've been down the road 50 years old now and been through the pga of America and talking to him and just trying to help him give him some advice of what's out there, even in the sport administration world or different contexts I knew with coaches. I actually helped him get a job at a local country club here for the summer just to get some golf experience down at Baker Hill. But I mean, I think it's all about networking, really. I mean, like, I'm sure if anyone picks up the phone and calls someone that went to Nichols and just said, hey, I'm class of, you know, I think it's that common bond that you have that we've been through that same experience. I mean, I have a good friend of mine. He I think his class of 68 were friends. He was a neighbor of ours. and But we were friends for like a couple of years and never spoke about college. And then one night at dinner, he said, yeah, I went to Nichols College. And I looked at him. I said, you what? And he goes, yeah, I went to Nichols. I said, so did I. And then, you know, we're like, well, where'd you live? I lived in Budley. So did I. And, you know, he's still a great friend of ours, but it's just kind of weird. Or, you know, even some of my classmates, Donnie Bean, we played soccer, probably lived right next door to each other in Budley and called me up a couple of years ago. I hadn't probably talked to him in over 20 years, but it was like nothing happened. Well, I, I think you bring up a good point. When I was in the admissions office, we would do college fairs and different programs and conferences. And I would talk to these other schools and they would always say, how does a school like Nichols, how does a small school kind of out in the country get all these things like return on investment rates where we're in the top 15 in the U.S. by payscale.com. And I think it's exactly kind of what you hit on is our alumni network. And maybe it's because we are a business-based school and in business networking and connections is just what you do. Similar to a lot of the schools like a Harvard or Dartmouth, our alumni are very fiercely loyal to the school when they're needed to step up and when they're needed to help out, they do. And I think that's a big strength. The classes around your graduation year have been very loyal uh, and involved at Nichols. You know, you mentioned Don Bean, uh, Judy Mele Kaiser, Matt O'Connor, Jeff Johnson, Nancy Medes Cordell, uh, Fran Carlo, Rich Sudam, and I can go on and on. But clearly, something about your college experience must have played a a big part in your life uh, as you continue to give your your time and your money to Nichols all these years later. You know, I, I'm very impressed on how, I mean, I wish I went to school there now. 
you know, like compared to the <laughs> campus we had then, not knocking it, but, you know, it's like for the times that I've been back, it's been well invested in. And I mean, I was pretty impressed with the classrooms and the student center. And I, I think the realization for me a little bit, I look back at it working at a college now, I've been at Dartmouth for 15 years, did help ignite my support for Nichols. Cause I mean, I think Nichols was a great experience for me. And sometimes when you're there, even just a few years out of school, you don't really realize maybe the impact it had or, you know, and even the, the lifelong friends. I mean, you had classmates, you know, like Mark McKeel and Greg Meekel are good friends of mine that we still keep in touch and, you know, try and see each other when we can. I mean, I think for me, just even working at Dartmouth and seeing the support that the alumni have here kind of sparked me to want to give back to Nichols for what it did for me. I mean, I think it had a positive influence. I mean, it was a great fit for me at the time. You know, if I went to a bigger school, I think I might have gotten lost. And earlier you, you mentioned Professor Hilliard. Professors at the college level inspire students even beyond academically more than, like you said, you realize when you graduate, leadership is a hallmark of Nichols. I mean, that's what we do. We, we create leaders. One day, many of your players are going to be saying the same things about you if they don't already. Coaches can be fantastic mentors. Obviously, there's all styles of coaching company, men or women who hate the limelight, like Bill Belichick to your hotheads like Bobby Knight or soft-spoken, introspective types like Coach K at Duke. Uh, do you have any coaches that you looked up to particularly and kind of used their method to help develop your coaching or leadership style? That's a good question. Butch Harmon, who's a great teacher, always, I happened to meet him and lucky to have dinner with him actually at the Ryder Cup one year in Louisville. He said, if you find someone that you don't like their teaching method, go take a lesson from them or go to a seminar and you might not agree with them on the way out, but you might learn something that, you know, maybe there's a method to their madness. You know, I think coaching golf and I coach the women's team too is an interesting dynamic. You know, I think golf's different than, you know, like football, Belichick runs a play and it didn't work. They come back in and they, you know, they kind of yell at the guy, right? And says like, you missed that block. Golf is more like track or something where you, it's the training beforehand or you know, building up their mindset and their self-image to believe that they can do it. I mean, even one of the best lessons I gave last year was when we finished second in the Ivy League. Harvard nipped us by six on the last day. One of my players finished third. She missed by about three shots. And we really just worked on her putting routine that she was at like 28 seconds and it should be under about 14. But she didn't realize that. You know what I'm saying? And it's the little things in the preparation that by the time you go out and coach them in a tournament, I'm just like crisis management or maybe like a caddy to help walk them through. Like, you know, if they hit the ball in a hazard or out of bounds or, you know, if they do different things, that's all formed from the relationship that you have with them and the interaction you have to be able to talk to them and build the trust. You know, I think as smart and as successful as we all are, sometimes we don't realize the training that we have had. The one thing that um, I guess I'm really proud of is just how you can see the players that have played for me develop. You know, I'm always reading books. Like I just read Coach K's book on leadership. I've read, you know, anything with sports. I mean, Belichick's, I think, a genius, even though I'm a Giants fan from Jersey. We did get him twice in the bowl to screw up Brady's record. But I'll anyway, just edit but... that out of the podcast for you. <laughs> me. <laughs> I think you really have to stay innovative. You can't just do it like the old way. Like, I think right now, you know, students today – you know, we're finding out more about like learning styles or how people learn. These guys do so much like with their phones. I mean, we have like swing videos that we can do on their iPhones and technology is just taking off like every day now. And I don't think if, if you don't stay up with the times a little bit, I mean, you can't be an old dinosaur saying, well, 
you know, this is how Ben Hogan did it. You can take some principles from the past, but you got to blend that with modern day technology and learning to make everyone play better. I shouldn't let the New Hampshire PGA Teacher of the Year off the hot seat without getting some good advice on maybe how to become a better golfer and also talk a little bit about the game of golf. I will say Nichols College having that little nine-hole golf course right there on campus is an asset that should be utilized. I mean, that's actually, I will say, where I think I got my spark to actually do this. And I didn't know at the time that, you know, I would be a PGA member for 20 plus years. I mean, I think it's actually a Devereaux Emmett design, who's a pretty famous designer. And, and when I've come back to visit you, Brent, that couple times, uh, I actually played nine holes to kind of rekindle some of the experience. And I was pretty impressed with the layout. I also think that golf's like, uh, you know, from a business standpoint, it's a great way to, you know, meet clients, possibly close some deals, whether it's a sales deal or business mergers or different things. I mean, you get to be on the golf course for hopefully four to no more than five hours and maybe a couple of beverages on the 19th hole or a little dinner. And and you don't have to be a tour player is the, what I would say. I mean, I think that I think golf's an intimidating sport. I do think it's a skill that's going to help you that you probably should prepare sooner rather than later because you can't come to the pga pro and say hey i got invited to this golf outing on monday and i know it's thursday but can you teach me how to play i mean i would say you never own it you're own you're only renting it you know just the day you think you have oh i got it you know why do you think tiger woods and all these guys have so many swing coaches i mean i think with all this social distancing and everything going on like golf's booming right now because i mean it's the only thing you get outside and kind of do I have to say, I like these new rules that uh, have come through with social distancing and, and maybe generationally younger players want to speed the game up. That might be a good way to do it because I, I kind of breeze in and out. I kind of like the way the play has gone since. Yeah, yeah. Pandemic. I mean, I think not taking the flag stick out. I mean, I would say also too, like, you know, you almost got to play more like an athlete. Just play. I mean, I think there's too many people standing over it. They think it's like the U.S. Open final round and. They're watching too much golf on TV and, you know, analysis is paralysis. They're just thinking too much. I mean, just let that inner athlete come out on you and, you know, almost react to where you have to hit it and just take a couple lessons. I would say practice in between your lessons, though. I'm sure that there are a lot of people listening who are in the same boat as I am in that my goal is break 90. I'm, I'm currently kind of in the mid to high 90s, depending on the day. I have a pretty long drive on my good days, but it's not consistent what types of mistakes do you see people making the most that are the most easily fixable um i think set up to the golf ball like the grip is a huge factor of like how you hold the golf club and you know i think a common thing that people don't understand is really the tension that you have in your hands you know i think subconsciously like sometimes people really want to strangle the club you know they think the firmer they grab the grip the you know they almost think it's well you were a baseball player right i mean like you know they think they hit it harder where swing within balance with some tempo and you know almost got to let it happen a little bit where sometimes i think we try so hard and we're almost making the game harder than it is and i think a lot of times as a teacher we're trying to give you the simplest path like get you in the best setup position then work on the path of how you hit it and i would also say that you know i think sometimes uh, club selection and actually knowing how far you hit your club i mean sometimes i think they think they remember the one time they hit that seven iron like 180 yards and they typically hit it like 155 guys are usually tough about it being macho trying to hit it pat well you hit an eight iron i gotta hit an eight iron where you know i think the women are not in that way women actually have to create a little more club head speed 
just to get some more distance because a lot of times they hit with the same type of rhythm. And, you know, I think if someone shows you the right way to do it and how to set up to it, it just makes the game a lot easier. It's almost funny how everyone in their mind has this, the different visualization of what the swing looks like. Sometimes feel and real are two different things. And, you know, like even I still take lessons. I met a great guy in Florida named Dennis Clark. He's a top 100 teacher. And, you know, even for as educated as I am on the golf swing, you know, sometimes it's hard to self-diagnose. YouTube has great content, but the problem is sometimes everyone, you know, they watch a little from Jim McClain, they watch a little from Butch Harmon. You know, it's almost like a shepherd's pie. They're putting it all together in one pot and, and they don't realize what they're doing. So it's like, mm. I mean, we all can go on WebMD too and try and diagnose what's wrong with us, but sometimes you need a professional to make sure you're on the right path. You know, like even with you, I'm saying someone that wants to break 90, I, I mean, I bet you some of it's course management, some of it's a little short game, and then some of it's, you know, like you're saying, getting your driver maybe in play. If you're athletic like you are, I don't think it'd be too hard to get you in the mid 80s. I will say the the lower you get though, like breaking 80 and getting in the 70s is harder than trying to take someone from say 110 to 100. Put a perspective that, you know, the average male I think is about an 18 handicap and I think the average woman's about a 27. So if you take par and add 18, that's right around 90. You know, that's like your average U.S. golfer. You know, the biggest thing I've even done with my team is it's more about how we think. When the old days, you'd get in the van, hey, how'd it go today? Oh, you know, I hit a ball out of bounds, two in the hazard, and three putted twice. Well, those are all negative imprints where finally we get in the van, we're like, well, give me three things you did well today. Well, I got up and down like three times. I had two birdie putts that I made. I think as, a, as humans, we're just too hard on ourselves. You know, we put a negative spin on it rather than, hey, yeah, I mean, I, I hit that far. It went a little in the right rough, but okay, what can I do now? Like checkers just trying to navigate the course. Like maybe it's better to lay up short of the pond and then bump a wedge on and maybe two putt and make bogey than it is trying to, you know, hit the miracle cut shot. A simple goal for everybody, no matter what level you're at, it's just a two-putt every green. I mean, if you're three-putting any of the greens or four-putting, it's like wasting shots. So even if you're a higher handicapper, you know what I'm saying little goals like that add up after a while. Or I mean, maybe your goal in the beginning, too, could be like to try and hit more fairways because then you're in play more rather than, you know, using all those alumni balls that you're supposed to be giving yeah. out, right? <laughs> I know. Before I, I let you go, I did want to ask one other question. So we had talked a little bit about the rough times that college sports had been facing due to the pandemic. I kind of wanted to get your take as somebody who, who does coach at an Ivy League institution. Everybody's heard about now what's being called the varsity blues scandal, which involves parents paying agents to take SATs for recruits or have coaches recruit non-athletes for roster spots to get them into schools with very hard acceptance rates. As someone who's seen the pressures that Ivy League students are exposed to pretty much on a day-to-day -day basis, what are your thoughts on what has gone on with that issue? I mean, I was very surprised when that hit. And part of it was a wake up call for me because obviously I think I'm on the inside of that bubble. You know, typically in a normal year, I get two recruits that we do get to select for the golf team. But, you know, they have to hit a certain, you know, we basically send their transcripts up to admissions and they review them and have to give approval. It's not like we just get them in, which obviously was going on the Varsity Blues. I mean, I think the biggest insulting thing in the Varsity Blues scandal is, you know, on the golf team, we only have two recruits. So like, I can't hide. My athletic director knows if these kids are performing or not. 
But I think, you know, you're seeing some bigger sports that maybe have like multiple, like 10 or 15 slots. Some of those recruits weren't even playing the sport that they're trying to, you know, use. So I think it's totally inexcusable. But I think you're doing a disservice to your children. The parents can ruin the interview with coaches and let them kind of decide what they want to do. Because, I mean, the coach needs to interact with that player for the next four years. You know, the parents are always involved in the background, but... I mean, I think even Malcolm Godwell wrote in his book that, you know, he'd rather go to the University of Toronto and be like one of the smartest kids than go to Yale and be average. You know, I think that's a credit to Nichols. Like, I think it's a small community that, you know, if you find the right fit there, like you can get as much help as you can and you can, you know, expand your mind and learn a lot where, you know, if you're a student that maybe got pushed in through the varsity blues, you know, you're probably in a school that maybe isn't the right fit for you. And then you're almost struggling academically and maybe not even playing the sport. Or if I had to leave you with one quote, if you're not willing to learn, no one will help you. But if you're determined to learn, no one can stop you. That's a great way to end things. Go Bisons and, uh, Everyone hope they're safe out there. All right. Thanks for joining us today, Alex. All right. Thanks, Brent. Be good. Welcome to the pen. The herd taking the court. We going for a win. We going for it all. We'll do it till we...